The reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 13 to 33. <clears throat> now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And I have to read the next verse, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. This is the word of the Lord.
shall I select him? Okay. Um, so last week was Easter Sunday, and we looked at the first resurrection appearance of Jesus in John's Gospel, and we were left with that resounding good news that Jesus is alive. And so this week we're moving Gospels, this week we're moving to Luke, and as far as I can see, the reason it's been structured like this, the reason we're looking at Luke this week, is that this story we read in Luke this week is the second appearance of Jesus, chronologically. Um, and so we encounter this story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus' appearance to them. And the first thing that struck me, looking at what we looked at last week and what we're going to be looking at this week, is the people who Jesus chose to appear to first. Looking at the Gospels, we'd think that the twelve apostles were the kind of key people, those twelve disciples who Jesus chose. And yet the very first person we saw last week who he appeared to was Mary Magdalene, a reformed prostitute, a woman whose testimony wouldn't, been, wouldn't have been accepted as trustworthy just because she was a woman. And who does he encounter this week in Luke's Gospel, this second encounter? These two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Who were they? Well, we're told one of them was called Cleopas. The other one isn't even given a name. And actually, we don't really know that much about these two disciples. Cleopas isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Gospels. We just assume that these were part of the wider group of people who followed Jesus. But they don't seem that important. What were they doing on the road to Emmaus? Well, probably they were running away. It seems that they'd heard the rumours that the women had been to the tomb and found it empty. But they hadn't believed that Jesus was alive. They had given up. They, this, this man they thought was the Messiah was dead. The dream was dead. And it seems at this point they decided the dream was over and they were going to go home. They were on their way home. And it's these two disheartened followers that Jesus appears to second. So Jesus comes alongside them, and we read from verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. Now this is the first thing I want to pick up on. What does Cleopas say about Jesus? He says, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. And I think this makes quite a good beginning to this passage, really, because this is the view that they hold that is about to change for them in their encounter with the risen Jesus. This is perhaps the highest view we could hold of Jesus without meeting the resurrected Jesus for ourselves, that he was a prophet. And this was the thing that was about to change for these two followers on the road to Emmaus. So Cleopas continues and he explains to Jesus what has happened these last few days. I just want to read, carrying on from where I left off. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. I think when we read that little explanation from Clearpass, we can quite justifiably think, why didn't they get it? It seems so obvious. Actually, if we think back to Luke 9, Jesus, what Jesus predicted would happen is exactly what Cleopas explains has happened. Back in Luke 9, that turning point in Luke where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, just after that, in Luke, 20, uh, Luke 9, 22, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Isn't that exactly what has happened? Cleopas even mentions that it's three days since these things took place, and yet he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't recall those words of Jesus. I think there's quite a key phrase in the middle of Cleopas' explanation, though, that perhaps tells us a little bit of why they didn't get it. In verse 21, he says, But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And I think that tells us a lot about why they didn't get it. It's all about that key word, redeem. It's quite a churchy, jargony word that we're quite used to using about you know, what Jesus has done for us. But actually here, Cleopas isn't using it in the way we might use it in church. For the Jews, that word redeem goes back to the Exodus. We read in Deuteronomy 15.15, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. For the Jews, that word redeem, they were expecting a Messiah who was going to redeem them in a similar way that they had been redeemed back in the Exodus. Somebody who was going to come and lead them as a people, um, from their oppressors, the Romans, and turn them into a great nation again. That was the sort of redeeming they were expecting their Messiah to do. And so perhaps that tells us something about why these two guys didn't get it when the man they thought was the Messiah was crucified. It was totally off their radar that the Messiah might come and die on the cross to save all of humanity. So they don't get it. What's Jesus' response? What does he do? Well, we read in verse 25... He said to them, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer all these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What did he do? He opened the scriptures to them. And actually Luke leaves us in the dark over what scriptures he opened to them. But actually I think there's something really key that we can learn here about how we approach the Bible. I think sometimes when we go to the Bible, we can read it like it's a car manual. You know, you go to a car manual when you've got a problem with your car to try and fix that problem. And sometimes when we have life problems, we can think, I'll go to the Bible and look for an answer to this problem. 
But what Jesus shows us here is that's not the way we're intended to use Scripture. All of Scripture points to Jesus. Jesus showed them that all of Scripture was about him. I think there's something interesting to note here, and that is that Cleopas and his companion probably knew these scriptures that Jesus was quoting to them. They probably knew them really well. They didn't have their own pocket Old Testament, so they probably have known large parts of the Old Testament by heart. And yet they still had never seen that this pointed to Jesus. They needed somebody to open their eyes to explain it to them. Many of you will know I study theology at university, and one of the things that I find quite sad is that so many of my lecturers know the Bible really well, and yet don't believe it. And this really troubled me when I first began to study, because so much of our evangelism as a Christian union is based around getting people to read the Bible for themselves. And I think there's good sound reasons for that. You know, we believe the Bible is God's word, and therefore it has power to change people's lives. But the troubling thing for me was, well, my lecturers are reading that Bible every day. Why aren't they coming to believe it? And I think the conclusion I came to is that although the Bible is plain for us to understand, our hearts are hard and we need our eyes opening, just like Cleopas and his companion needed their eyes opening. We need somebody to explain it to us. For Cleopas and his companion, that person was Jesus. They had the resurrected Christ walking alongside them, explaining the scriptures to them. For us, it's a little bit different. We don't have the resurrected Christ sitting alongside us in the same way when we read the Bible. But for us, we have the Holy Spirit instead. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to continue Christ's work by opening our eyes to see that Jesus is what the scriptures are all about. Actually, I think that radically changes why we should go to the Bible. Rather than reading it like a dead book, like a car manual, and going to it only when we have problems, instead we go to it as what it is, a living word, that teaches us about a real person, a person whom we're trying to have a relationship with as Christians. And doesn't that change when we would want to go to the Bible? If we want to know this person better, And of course we're going to want to go to the Bible as much as we can and get to know that person. So we move on to the end of the passage and we know how it ends. They they reach Emmaus and they invite Jesus in for tea and he breaks bread and all of a sudden the penny drops. Their eyes are opened. But what was it that their eyes were opened to see? Well, I think it all comes back to that word redeem that I talked about before. I talked before about how for the Jews that word redeem was about a a Messiah who was going to come and rescue them and turn them into a physical nation. But for us, we use that word a little differently and the rest of the New Testament uses that word a little differently. And I just want to quickly dig into what that word really means for us. I found that in in Titus 2, Paul uses that very same word in the Greek. And there's four short verses that I just want to read to you from Titus 2 that I think really explain what that word redeem means for us and what Jesus does for us. So it's from Titus 2, 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, 
It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, I don't have time to go through that word by word, um, but I think there's four things in that about what redeem really means for what Jesus has done for us. The first thing is that he offers salvation to all people. We have that phrase in verse 11, for the grace of God brings salvation has appeared to all men. That might seem quite obvious to us, but actually most of us aren't Jews. And so if Jesus had been the sort of Messiah the Jews were expecting, we'd have never been offered salvation. And yet he offers salvation to all people. Secondly, Verse 12 is kind of all about holiness and our sin. And actually, the reason the Jews were occupied by the Romans, the reason they went into exile, was because of their sin. That was their actual problem. And Jesus came to deal with our actual problem, our sin. Thirdly, we have this little phrase in verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour. And I think what that while we wait tells us is that Christ didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom like the Jews were expecting. They were expecting another nation of Israel. But instead, he came to establish an eternal kingdom. And I think that's, that's great news for us because if it had been an earthly kingdom, we might have been a part of it for 60 or 70 years that we're alive on earth. But instead, he came to establish a kingdom that's eternal, that we can all be part of for eternity. And fourthly and finally, um, that last verse, verse 14, talks about how Christ came to redeem us from all wickedness. So that's about him redeeming us from sin. But also, it says he came to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Christ didn't just redeem us from something, but for something. He made us his people. He not only dealt with our sin, took our sin, but he gave us his status before God. And, you know, that means we can have a relationship with God that we never could have had in any other way. You know, that means we can enjoy the same relationship, the most intimate relationship with God that Christ enjoyed for eternity past. So what was their response the, the pennies dropped, they got it. What did they do? Well, we read, reading from verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. What did they do? They got back on the road again, made that very same journey to go and tell the others. They couldn't keep this to themselves. We can almost picture the change. They'd they'd first of all made this journey in absolute despair. They meet the risen Christ and all of a sudden they want to make this journey again with joy, just longing to tell the the other followers. 
So I've mentioned a few things as I've gone through, but I just want to sum up what this has got to say to us for our walk with the Lord today. I think there's three things that I've mentioned. Firstly, I've dwelt for quite a while on how Christ redeems us. And actually, he is so much more of a Messiah than the Jews were expecting. And I think that should help us to see that the gospel really is good news. I think what we can often slip into thinking is that Christianity is just another religion that's about rules. You know, it's we do good things and we get a good reward because of that. And if that was the case, then it wouldn't be good news because none of us are good enough. We know that. We're, we're too sinful to do enough good stuff. But actually, it's good news because Christ has done it all. Secondly, I talked about how he's redeemed us from something, but also for something. And that for something is for relationship with him. And actually, we can, we can get to know that person. We can get to know Christ better through reading the Bible. Through reading his word and having our eyes open by the Holy Spirit. And finally, I think what this speaks to me most about is how naturally blind we all are as human beings. I think it can be quite easy to look at the disciples in the Gospels with judgment and think, come on guys, why didn't you get it? But actually, I think it's important to remember that there was a point in each of our lives where we didn't know Christ. And so we've each been in that situation of having our eyes opened. God has done the miracle in all of us of bringing us to know him. And actually, that for me gives me great hope for those I know who don't know Jesus. Now, it means he can open their eyes too. It doesn't matter how blind they might appear. He can do that miracle. And he might not do it when I expect him to. He might not do it immediately. But actually, his plans cannot fail.